Welcome to The Winance Show, a place to help you stop spending, grow wealth, and live more intentionally. We're your hosts, Marie and Stephanie, two sisters on the path to financial independence and personal finance educators. We've both grown multiple six-figure portfolios within just a few years by making simple yet effective changes with our financial habits. But not before overcoming a financially insecure childhood, digging our way out of debt, and unlearning the limiting beliefs around money that we were taught growing up. We show you how to achieve financial independence through our blog, workshops, podcasts, and our weekly YouTube live stream show. Welcome to Winance. Today we are talking about one of our favorite investment tools of all time, index funds. Um, money nerds that we are, we love talking about this topic, but uh, I think you're going to learn a lot even if you're not a money nerd like us. <laughs> And um, just a quick reminder before we get into everything today. So tomorrow, Thursday, October 22nd is our uh, Winance workshop. It's a virtual workshop um, that we are holding called Building Wealth in Your 401k. And you can still get tickets. They are still available. They're $37. It's a 90 minute workshop. And we are talking about um, everything 401ks and really how to, strategies for how to invest in 401ks, all the stuff that they don't teach you from your, your uh, provider doesn't teach you. It's confusing to, you know, to figure it out on your own, everything that they don't teach you in school. I mean, Stephanie and I have been staying up late and waking up early to put the finishing touches on this workshop. And I am so excited. I'm really more excited for our workshop attendees because I just know they're going to be leaving with so much great information. They're going to mm -hmm. feel confident about how to invest in their portfolios and their 401ks. Um, I, I just, the potential is so, um, it's huge. And I'm just so excited for them. Aren't you, Steph? Oh, definitely. I, I'm excited to do it. It's been, you know, as I like to call it a labor of love for us. It and is, this yes. is our first virtual <laughs> workshop. So we're super excited to be able to do this again. It's our first wine ants night, essentially, since our physical wine ants yeah. nights have been quarantined. That's right. <laughs> so I'm super excited to be able to do this again. Um, so if you want to get tickets, you can go to wineantsfi.com slash workshops, and you can register there and we'll send you all the info. It's at 7pm tomorrow night, 7pm Eastern. So make sure you you go if you can. We hope to see you there. Yes. All right, so another fun thing that we do every week uh, on Winance Wednesday is, what is the drink of the week? What you drinking? <laughs> what you drinking? What you drinking, what you drinking Marie? <laughs> um, well, I'm, as usual, I'm double fisting. So I've got my glass of Shalaz here. Oh, that's a beautiful oh, glass. Thank you. Okay, can I tell you about my glass? Yes, please. <laughs> so, um, I I am I, I want to be a minimalist. Like let's I I am a, an aspiring minimalist. I've been saying that for several years. So mm -hmm. you know a lot of emphasis on aspiring. But um, I I don't like to buy a lot of new things. You know I think minimalism is something that kind of goes hand in hand with frugality and with financial independence. And I've been trying to figure out ways to like you know love the stuff that I already have. And if I'm gonna buy something, buy something because I really love it. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, I didn't want to get new wine glasses, even though my wine glasses didn't match. They were all different sizes from different vineyards. And so for my birthday this year, I asked my mother-in-law if she would get me um, new wine glasses. And I was very particular about the wine glasses I wanted. So of course. particular. I, um, you guys, you're not, this is how extra I was. So you actually got me a wine glass that I love, Stephanie. You got it from that vineyard in um, San Diego. 
Oh yeah. I love it. I love it because it's a big wine glass and it has a big opening because I don't like it when wine glasses have small openings and then the edge of the wine glass hits your nose. Yes. It it's a very particular so, wine yes. glass. Uh, issue. So I literally was doing so much research to find the perfect wine glass. And I took out a measuring tape and measured the opening <laughs> of the wine glass that you got me, oh the diameter of it. And then I read like all the specs on like, I'm not kidding, like at least 10 different wine glasses. And so I found ones that I like. These are from Target, by the way. Um, here, I'll bring them up on camera again in mm -hmm. case anybody hasn't seen them. So they're from Target. Um, uh, Katie, <laughs> it's Libra season. Go extra. <laughs> yes. So um, I, I found these from Target and I asked my mother-in-law for them. And then not only did she get me the red wine ones, she got me the white wine ones. She got me the champagne flutes. So when quarantine is over, we are having a little wine party. Everybody's invited. <laughs> Um, so anyways, that's the saga of my wine glass. And then of course my double fisting, I always have some seltzer with me. Yes. No, that's, <laughs> that's about you? Story. you know that I'm all about the wine glasses. I, I collect wine glasses and I've had to make a hard decision to stop doing that because I literally have nowhere to put them. Yeah. I'm not going to pay yes. rent for my wine glasses. So. <laughs> so what I am drinking tonight is of course another Aldi's special. So let's see if we can mm. get a good shot. The intermingle. Oh, which is a California red blend wine and it's Zinfandel, Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon. And it's actually one of my other favorite, all these wines. So it's under $5. I'm fairly certain. Um, it's, you know, it's a good, like just easy going medium bodied wine, you know, mm -hmm. good with pizza or pasta or whatever other thing, you know, a yeah. Wednesday night. <laughs> it goes with, <laughs> it goes with so that a Wednesday night. Going. Yes. <laughs> That's what I'm enjoying this evening. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, if you guys are watching the live stream, why don't you drop us a comment and let us know what you drinking tonight? <laughs> I don't know if Morgan is here or not, but we definitely stole that what you drinking from Morgan uh, Young Black Misses podcast, if you guys yes. don't know. Um, all right. So let's talk about last week's challenge of the week. Yeah. So, so last week, last week we talked about um, spending intentionally and budgeting and all that great stuff. And so our challenge of the week was apply the quote 24 hour rule to any unplanned purchases. Um, so wait 24 hours at least um, before you buy any unplanned purchases. So Steph, I know you have an example of how you implemented that in your life. I did, though I like to more call it the procrastinator's way of budgeting. <laughs> <laughs> so the 24 hour rule was made for procrastinators 24 hour 72 hour 96 hour all, as many hours as you can go is for procrastinators and believe it or not even though i was you were surprised when i told you this i am an eternal procrastinator like i thrive on that like rush of the last minute getting something done and so for months now we have needed to get our gutters cleaned for our house like it's it's beyond ridiculous. Like the water just drips over the side and drips down for weeks after it's rained. It's, it's crazy. But mm -hmm. anyway, so I kept meaning to like call and call. And then I was like, okay, today's the day I'm going to get my gutters clean. And I was looking around and all the prices were just like way higher than I had anticipated. And so I just kept putting it off and I was like, all right, let me just, I'll wait until, you know, this weekend and I'll do it then. And then I get an email over the weekend um, from Groupon about like different things. And one of them was gutter cleaning. And I was like, oh, well, let me see what their deal is. And it was a place that had five-star reviews. 
did, you know, did houses in my area and they were having a discount. It was like 20 or 25% off for the weekend purchases. So I got like an additional 20 or 25% off. Plus here's the uh, eternal optimizer in me. I also remembered that one of my credit cards had a Groupon cashback deal. So if I bought something on Groupon, I got an additional 10% cashback. So I saved like, I don't know, 80 something dollars on my gutter cleaning. Wow. <laughs> talk about cleaning, a win. You know? <laughs> That's the thing. Sometimes if you wait, if you see something and it's not on sale, like the next day it might go on sale or in a couple days mm. it might go on sale, especially if it's something that like, you know, rotates in sales, like just kind of wait, give it a couple days, give it a couple weeks and it might actually go on sale or, you know, maybe your credit card has some kind of special cashback deal. I mean, a a few of the cards that I have will do that every so often. And it's something or some place that I I will shop on an occasional basis. So I will wait till that happens. And I'm like, oh yeah, they have a deal every three months. Let me just wait until then. So sometimes being a procrastinator and waiting can come to your benefit. (laughs) I just have, it is so hard for me to believe that you're a procrastinator because you're so type A. I feel like you're always like on top of everything and you're kind of a control freak (laughs) a little bit. Yeah. So I would never, it's, I've just never come across as a procrastinator, but it just goes to show that, you know, all of us have that inside of us, I guess. Definitely. And Katie made a good point. She said, even after it goes on sale, some credit cards will give you reimbursement for the difference. So that is a good point. Thank you for reminding us of that, Katie. Yes. Katie is definitely an expert in that field. (laughs) Uh, Katie's my coworker, by the way. And most importantly, friend, Libra friend. All right, so this week we have a really good topic for you. I'm glad it looks like we've got a good group here because I'm and I'm really glad about it because index funds, I know it doesn't sound very interesting, but y'all, index funds is where it's at when it comes where to it's investing. At. Where it's at, yeah. No, so yeah, definitely. I mean, Marie and I, we we basically since we started Winance, we always talk about index funds and index fund investing. Their very first Winance night. Uh, you know, we talked about doing a, a total market, a total stock market index fund, but we kind of wanted to bring it back to, you know, index funds 1.0. <laughs> like, let's talk about what that really means and why index funds are a a way to invest to help make you a confident investor. So when people typically start investing, they don't really know where to begin. They think that they have to pick individual stocks. They have to know about some magical company that might do well in the future and be able to afford to buy stocks from that company and then just hope that their money grows and they don't lose it all. Or that's the worst case that a lot of people are fearful of, that they invest their money in some company or some selection of companies. And then those companies go under and they lose everything that they've invested. And that's certainly a possibility. And that is the scary thing about being a new investor investor is that you don't know necessarily that there's other options and that there's more intelligent and secure ways to invest that kind of diversify what you're invested in, but also uh, allow you to be invested in, in multiple things that you don't have to worry about. And even if there's one thing that goes under, another one might be there to take its place. And so 
becomes the index fund. Yeah, you know, and the beauty of index funds is it prevents analysis paralysis. It prevents you from having to sit here and go through all these different companies, you know, financials and figure out who is not underwater and who's not super in debt and who has plans for the future and, you know, a, a decent plan for growth in the future. You know, you don't have to worry about losing all your money and saying, oh my God, I'm, I'm so afraid of, of losing everything and just not doing anything at all when you're in an index fund. You know, yeah. once you understand the history of the stock market and how that works and why index fund investing can work for you, then it kind of really just takes that fear away and it helps you become a confident investor. And so I think kind of starting with that is we want to go over the history of the stock market and not to make this like a store fest, <laughs> you know, so we'll keep it brief, but yeah. I think it's important to understand why the stock market doesn't have to be a scary thing and why it doesn't have to be this black hole that you just hear, oh, the S&P is up, you know, 10 points today. Like, what does that actually mean? So yeah. I know, Marie, you kind of understand the history of the stock market and can explain it very well for us laymen. <laughs> so Yeah, this was actually... Uh, sure. So, um, and I will say understanding the history of the stock market. And we, when we're saying the history, we mean like the totality of the stock market. Understanding that was a key reason why I actually got interested with investing or specifically with index funds, um, because it, it just clicked for me. Um, and so basically while there are certainly, there are risks with any form of investing, any and all forms of investing, there's always going to be a risk. You cannot predict what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, you can't pr predict what's going to happen a, a week from tomorrow or a year from tomorrow. I'm sure a year ago, right before coronavirus started breaking out, the, you know, in Q4 of last year, nobody yeah. was predicting we were going to be in the middle of a global pandemic. So no, you can't predict anything and you do assume a risk every time you invest. But that being said, the thing that we love about index funds and the thing, the reason why we talk about the history of the stock market is that the stock market always goes up. It doesn't always go up every single day. It doesn't go up consistently every single day, but the history of the stock market demonstrates that the stock market always eventually goes up. And so we have a chart here that really kind of um, um, like sends this message home. And so it shows you the history of the S&P index, um, the Standard & Poor index. Um, and it starts, I think Standard & Poor started in 1928, if I'm not mistaken. And so you can obviously see it was very steady, steady, steady for many decades. And then, you know, the 80s rolled around and the 90s and the 2000s, we obviously know that, you know, corporations and everything that's involved with, with um, you know, with the stock market has increased in the last 40 years. But as you can see from that chart, the stock market always goes up. And so even when you are, even when you're in the middle of a down event, unless it is Armageddon and it is like, you know, the world is on, literally the world is on fire. You can always rest assured that even if you're in the middle of a down market, it's going to go up. It may take a year. It may take two years. It could take 10 years, depending on what's going on. But truly, unless we are in the middle of Armageddon, it's going to go up. And the other thing I always say is that there are far too many, I mean, like it or not, and I, you know, actually don't really like it, but like it or not, we, we live in a very capitalistic world. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there are way too many billionaires who are going to allow themselves to get poor. Yep. Okay. So while they can't predict that, you know, we can't change what could happen tomorrow. We can't predict what could happen tomorrow. There are far too many extraordinarily wealthy people to allow the vast majority of 
um, you know, the S the companies in the S and P 500 or the vast majority of the companies that are trading on the stock market to fail. Yep. Um, and so that's why we feel confident and secure in investing in index funds because you're you're investing in the total stock market or you're investing in a broad um, array of companies that are being traded on the stock market. Exactly. And so we have another graph, this one here. And I love this one because it really kind of reiterates that point of, yes, there will be downtimes in the market. And we're not saying that the market always consistently goes up and you can, it's a linear line that's always in an upward trajectory. No, absolutely not. There are downtimes. Obviously, most of us have experienced the 2008 financial crisis. Depending on how old we were at that time, it might have impacted us or we might have just been on the cusp of, of it impacting us. Like, I don't think either of us were invested in 2008. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we kind of felt like, oh, yeah, you don't have to worry about losing your money because we're not invested. <laughs> But if you look at this graph, I mean, it went up. And by 2010, it was basically back where it was again. And it's done nothing but gone up since. And then at the end of the graph, you can see the dip from the beginning of this year due to COVID. And again, mm -hmm. it's recovered. And it had a far more quick recovery than anyone anticipated. I mean, some people were saying it was going to be a V recovery, which is exactly what it looks like. You know, it, it returned very quickly um, in a time. And some people thought it was going to be a, a U, which is a longer time to have to recover. The 2008 crisis took a longer time. It took to about 2010 for it to start to get back to that point where it was previously. Whereas for COVID, it took only a matter of a few months, you know, three to five months or something like that to recover back to uh, where it was pre-COVID. And not, mm -hmm. that's not to say that come the next month or two or year or two, there's going to be you know other dips. I think we can all easily say that after November 3rd, there's probably going to be some more turmoil in the market, regardless of what happens. I think that's right. just a confident thing that we can all say. Yes. Um, and at that point, you think, okay, well, well, isn't it scary to invest? And it's like, no, because as long as the world really doesn't end, it's going to keep going up. And, you know, I don't have to worry about, well, what about this individual company? Because what if this company doesn't survive? Because that's the unfortunate thing that we're dealing with right now is that because of COVID, it's hit so many businesses that never would have thought they were would be impacted by this or by obviously by a pandemic. A lot of people or no one pretty much thought they would be impacted by a pandemic um, were hit. So, you know, all these restaurants and local local businesses are going under because they're just not having the same foot traffic as they would have under normal circumstances. And they haven't been able to pivot to an online, you know, business like some other companies have been able to do. So yes, there are companies that are going to go under, but so long as you have a wide net of companies that you're invested in, you can be more confident about how your where your money is going and not have to worry so much about the individual companies and how they're performing. And so I think this is a good transition to what our question of the day is, which is what scares you about investing or what used to scare you about investing? And That's I know one. for me, <laughs> yes, <laughs> for me, it was that whole, like, you could lose everything, you know, bit of it. Like I'm, you know, I, I have, uh, I always scarcity, you know, scarcity, anxiety, um, just because of our upbringing and everything. And so I, the whole idea that I put all this savings that I've worked hard for into this, you know, black hole market that I didn't understand at the time. And I'm just supposed to hope that all these companies do well for me. And it's like, yeah, actually. And it makes sense once you understand it. But, you know, in 2008, I did not understand that in 2000. 
12, I didn't understand that. It took yeah. me to 2015 to start to understand it. Yeah. You know? So that's the thing is, is it was super scary because it scared me to say, if I put all this money here, what do I have to live off of if something happens? And we've talked about emergency funds. And back then in 2008 and 2012, and then at the beginning of 2015, probably, <laughs> I didn't really have much of an emergency fund or any emergency fund at all. And I learned about that. I learned about how to secure yourself, you know, with liquid assets, meaning cash and, and you know, money mm-hmm. in your bank account, but also invested assets, meaning your your retirement accounts or your yeah. your brokerage accounts, you know, investments in the market. And so it made it a lot less scary for me. And now I really don't have that fear of I could lose everything. Yes, there could be times when the market goes down and you really pray that it doesn't go down so bad that you have to spend a decade recovering or longer. But, you know, so far we haven't really seen that too much and we're young enough that we could potentially go through that. Whereas someone who's in retirement now may want to take, you know, more um, or less risky options, uh, not having to have everything in stocks rely on the market you might want something that might has less of a return, but you know, you're not going to have to worry so much about the ups and downs day after day. So, you know, at my point in my life, I'm okay with how I'm investing and that the majority of my savings are in the stock market and, and in stocks because they're in yeah. index funds. Right. What about for you? What what was scary for you before you started learning about the stock market? I think it was just, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it, I guess my fear really came from ignorance, to be quite honest. You know, I just wasn't really interested in learning about it. And what I did know, so you guys have to understand, and I think most of the people who are probably watching might be around in the same age, but Stephanie and I are elder millennials. And, <laughs> um, you know, it, it took me six years to graduate from college. So I graduated in 2007. And what did I graduate into? I graduated into the financial crisis. Yeah. Um, so that's all I knew, like as an adult, as like, my, you know, a, like a real adult for the first time, all I knew was financial crisis. And I just remember thinking, you know, in 07, 08, 09, thank God I'm not invested in the stock market. Thank God I don't have money in the stock market. Like, you know, I'm so glad that I'm not, you know, I didn't risk my money. And so what, what it really was, was just ignorance. You know, I just didn't, I didn't know enough. I was ignoring like, you know, how to invest and wasn't really actively looking for smart strategies to invest. I just assumed, well, if you're invested, you're invested in companies and those companies don't do well and you lose all your money. If I had known about index funds at the time, Oh my God. I mean, I try, try, we talk about this all the time. I try not to have regrets, but God, you guys, I wish to God I was invested in 2008. I really do. Do you know how much money I would have? (laughs) No, we could all be fire right now. (laughs) Child. Oh my God. I I would have money. I would. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people in the FI community and the fire community who are early retired right now, we're the ones who are a little bit older than us and were actively invested and decided to hold through it. Um, the mad scientist is one of them. And he'll say mm-hmm. that where in 2006, he made one of his biggest mistakes where he like cashed in a bunch of stock, but he did keep investing in other things. And he's glad that he held through it for the most part during that time, because that actually is what helped him recover. Like he lost a lot because he got quote scared and, and yeah. dumped a lot of stocks, meaning he sold them. But, um, but you know, he still was like, okay, I can't be that scared because I believe in what I'm doing. And so that's the thing is like, if you understand it and you believe in it, then it's not to say that it's not going 
to scare you. It's not that you're mentally not going to think like, oh, well, I'm totally fine. Yeah, I dropped $30,000 in a week because the market, you know, went on a steep decline. No, of course, that's scary. Nobody wants to see that. But you also have to think about it as I'm not living off of that money right now. I am still right. working my nine to five job or my W2 right. job, or maybe I have my own business. I still have income coming from another source. So you don't have to worry about it as much that that money is going down because hopefully you're at a stage in your life where you can wait for it to recover. And if you're fortunate enough, like we have been at least for, for this year, it recovered quickly. Even mm -hmm. like we said in 2008, it recovered relatively quickly over the course of a year and a half to two years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, it just depends on what stage you are in your life, but you know, just because it's, it can be a scary thing doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. That's yeah, right. I, I think that's just kind of the, the key. So we've talked about that we're invested in index funds. We've talked about the history of the stock market, but I think now we really need to talk about really what is an index fund and why is it okay to be invested in it? Yeah. And to put it simply, an index fund is an investment fund made up of multiple shares of a particular market or sector. So it can be a total stock market, which means that it includes all shares of all publicly traded companies, and we're talking about particularly US companies, there are international ones, but um, for the reference of what I'm talking about, the total stock market for the total US stock market. So every company that you can imagine, Disney, Amazon, Netflix, Google, uh, you know, Ford, GE, you know, Dell, like all these companies that are publicly traded, that you've heard of that you buy all their brands, that's who you're owning when you own a total stock market or even an S&P 500 fund. So an S&P mm -hmm. 500 is a uh, stock market index and you can own a fund that tracks that index. And that's the top 500 uh, publicly traded companies in the United States. So imagine all these companies I just named, you own a small share of that. And that's kind of the amazing thing about it is that there's index funds for everything. It's not just companies that you know and stocks that you know, there's bonds. So you can have government bonds, municipal bonds. I mean, there's all sorts of different types of bonds that you can own in an index fund. There's commodities. So you, it's utilities, it's healthcare, technology. Um, there's so many different indexes out there. So even if you're saying, okay, well, I don't want to own just stocks. What else do I want to own? There's other options out there for you and they all have their uh, own pros and cons to it. And so certainly, you know, you'd want to do more research to see what fits your investment style. But once you find that, that's a very good way to invest. Um, one of the things I, I really love about index funds is there's, so there's a thing called passively managed and actively managed. And um, basically passively managed means that there, you don't have someone actively picking individual stocks for you. It literally tracks an index. So for example, the S&P 500 index, um, it, you're obviously the companies that have a, a, a bigger weight in, in that index, your Facebooks, your Googles, your Amazons, your Apples, they're going to have a bigger portion of stake in that total index, which means mm -hmm. that if you own a fund that tracks the S&P 500, you're going to own a decent share of those companies when you own that stock. Like that percentage of that stock is going to be most a good portion in there, but there's also going to be a ton of other companies in there. And so you don't really have to worry about rebalancing and saying, well, Apple went down today because they, you know, they were late on releasing the next iPhone and whatever else might happen. It just, automatically gets changed out and it's based on the weight of the index 
versus there's actively managed index funds where you have someone literally trying to pick stocks and figure out which one's going to do better than the other the next day. And even though it's still technically an index fund, it's somebody who's actively trying to figure that out versus going with what the market is doing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we at Winance, we always encourage people to pick passively managed funds. One, because you don't have to worry about someone and their, you know, what they assume is going to be the best option for you picking individual individual stocks, but also it's going to be lower cost for you because you're not paying some middleman to you know, basically guess at which stocks are going to do well. It's just following this index. So that's one of the things I really love about index funds. Um, one of the other things is the diversification and and the risk that it, or the minimal risk that it poses. So why don't you talk about that, Marie, and, and how that yeah. works? Yeah, real quick, I, and this is obviously on a very um, elementary level, but what the way I kind of describe index funds is a fund, the fund itself is like a file folder and the stocks within that fund are like pieces of paper that you put in that file folder. And so you can have a file folder that holds all the pieces of paper, or you can have a file folder that holds just pieces of paper that are related to technology or pieces of paper that are related to financial sector. So think of an index fund as like a file folder with files in it or a computer folder with files in it. Um, that's yeah, like a very simplistic analogy. Yeah. 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 It's a simplistic way because I think if you're not in this world, it can be hard to kind of conceptualize like what it is. Um, so that's like a really good way to say it. And so you, when you have, when you own the whole file folder with all the pieces of paper with it, you're casting a wide net. You don't have to pick a one sector that you you can bet on and think that you, you could, you think, okay, I think this is going to work or I think this is not going to work. It doesn't matter if that one sector doesn't work or not because you've got a whole bunch of other companies that are helping it. And what Stephanie was saying about the weighting, that definitely does matter. Um, Majority of um, S&P 500 index funds or total stock market index funds are more heavily weighted towards the FANGs, which is Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Google, Netflix. Um, they are more heavily weighted towards those companies. And so if something were to happen to one of those companies, yeah, you would probably see a dip in your portfolio, even though it only happened to that one company. But the fact of the matter is you're still extremely widely diverse, diversified, which is actually the next point. Um, so index funds are hugely diversified. You own every just every sector you could possibly own. You're going to own your Apples and your Googles, but you're also going to own some smaller companies, smaller companies that you probably haven't heard of before. Yeah. And that's okay. Hey, I love the fact that like, I don't need to sit there and read a prospectus of, you know, blah, 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 blah company that I don't really have any interest in anyways. I just want, you know, I just want my, my money to grow. (laughs) I do just want to make that paper. And that's, that's what I love about it is that it's minimal risk. It's also kind of set it and forget it. I mean, you were talking about passively managed. I mean, I love saying this because it's so true. Index fund investing is truly the only form of passive income there is. Every other mm-hmm. form of passive income, you have to do some kind of labor for it. Yeah. Um, and with an index fund, as long as you understand the the fact that you guys are on this this call tonight, on our on this episode tonight, you're doing that work right now. You're learning about index funds. So, I mean, we want you to go and do your own independent research. You shouldn't just take our word for it. You should look it up yourself. But really, you Google it, you're gonna see all of these different articles talking about how great index funds are. And so it's a simple, it's it's really simple to actually invest in them versus investing in a particular stock. And I I just want to be clear, we're not telling anyone never invest in a single company or Mm -hmm. a particular company. 
You should actually, absolutely, if that's something you're interested in, you want to do that work, you want to do that research, do it. But don't don't invest in a company just because you've heard of it and you think it's, you know, this is going to be a good thing. You really do need to do that research. And if you want to be more passively involved with your um, with your with your investments, you kind of just want to set in and forget it. Well, an index fund is a great way to do that. Yeah. Um, or did you want to? Well, I was going to say, going back to what you're saying about the, how a index fund and especially a total stock market index fund has tons of companies that you've never even heard of, but yet can make you money. A good point was um, my husband's company actually was sold to a publicly traded company. And I go, well, I wonder if we actually own them. Guess what? We do. <laughs> Hey. I mean, it's like the smallest <laughs> percentage of one yeah. share of VTSAX, but like still, yeah. you know, that's the thing. When you own a share of VTSAX, which is Vanguard's total stock market index fund, you own over 300, or I'm sorry, over 3,500 yeah. companies. Like yeah. that's the thing. I don't have to sit here and like you said, read over 3,000 prospectuses from these random companies that are, all I care about is, okay, did the market go up today? Cool. Then that's what I got. Like, yeah. you know, I hope that his company does well, obviously, because it's his job, but you know, yeah. I also hope that they do well because we own a small share of them. So yeah, absolutely. Know, that's what's so great about them is that because it's so broad based and that's what index funds, a large cap index fund is a broad based index fund. So it's broad. You're owning a broad array of companies because it's so broad. You are already as diversified, diversified as you possibly need to be. Um, I've even heard the argument made that like you don't actually need to own any international stocks. And again, I'm not making this recommendation. Mm -hmm. I'm just stating um, an argument that I've heard made is that a lot of people don't really need to own international stocks because so many of the companies that are held within a total stock market index fund or an S&P index fund are global companies. And so they're already doing work in other countries throughout the world outside of the United States. And that that part of the economy is basically factored into, you know, their earnings. So you're actually widely diversified outside of the United States, even though you're investing in a US based um, um, index fund. So I, I just, I, there are so many great reasons to do it. And then I'll, you know, I'll kind of close on this last point is that um, you kind of touched upon this earlier stuff. Let's take the S&P 500, for example, if one company fails, there's always a company in waiting in its place to take its place. So if, if number 498 fails all of a sudden, well, number 499 is going to jump up to 498 and number 501 is going to jump up to that 500 slot. You don't have to do that rebalancing if, yep. on your in your index fund. It does it itself. The S&P, the market does it itself. So you don't have to do that. And you also don't have to pay somebody to actively manage your fund if one of those companies fails and then and your, your fund manager didn't pick up on it or didn't know about it. You don't have to pay for any of that. They're also low cost. I think that's one thing we also, we didn't mention is that um, there are fees involved with any form of investment, whether you, you're investing in stocks or you're investing in funds, mutual funds, index funds, there are fees involved that are called expense ratios. And a lot of times actively managed funds have higher expense ratios. Um, and so that end, can end up being a lot of your money. I mean, we have a chart, we're actually going to show it in our workshop tomorrow night. Um, there's a chart that shows that like even, um, you know, a 1% fund is the difference between 
um, you know, six, uh, sorry, a 1% expense ratio is the difference between, you know, paying $6,000 in fees over a 20 year period and paying close to $12,000 in fees. And $12,000 is a lot of money. Oh yeah. Um, I don't think anybody wants to, and for what <laughs> you're paying for the advertisement, you're paying for some dude's salary. I don't think so. I'm not doing that. Someone else can do that, but not me. <laughs> Exactly. That's stupid. <laughs> it is. It really is. I mean, that's the thing. What are you paying for? Especially if it's not outperforming the index. If it's not outperforming yeah. the S&P 500, then what's the point? Then just do a passively managed fund that meets the index. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of these passively managed funds that track the total stock market or the S&P 500 is that they're not trying to beat them. They're not trying to have a windfall overnight. It's just that as long as I can do what the market's doing and assuming the market always generally goes up, then eventually your your investment will always go up. You know, maybe not always, not every single day, but it will over the long term go up. And hopefully right. by the, you know, the point you bought it and the point you go to sell it, it will be a significant difference and you'll have plenty of growth that you can live off of that income. And that's really the whole point of that. Um, and again, it goes back to my point of not, being afraid of the stock market and not being afraid of investing, you know, like I was where I just was like, Oh my God, I'm going to lose it all. You know, <laughs> you don't have to be afraid of it. Um, you know, once you start to understand these details, it, you know, that it's, it's not that scary thing. And actually we did a blog post. If you want to learn more about index funds, if you go to winancefi.com slash post slash index dash fund, um, it's a whole blog post about index funds. So all the details we talked about today are in there plus more. So if you want to know the nitty gritty about index funds, everything's there. Go to the blog. It'll give you everything that we missed tonight. <laughs> There's actually one more thing I did want to mention, um, Steph. Um, so there is, um, it's a PBS documentary. It's a frontline documentary. It's called The Retirement Gamble. Um, Google that the retirement gamble, um, everything you want to understand about just investing and investing for retirement is encapsulated in that documentary. It's only, I think it's under an hour long, um, but it's really well, well done. And two things that really kind of jumped out for me in there is number one, Warren Buffett, who is one of the world's most renowned investors. He's one of the few people on earth who has gotten it right and has been able to pick stocks and pick companies. And that's why he's a billionaire many, many, many times over. But when he dies, he's already set it up for his, um, for his not inheritance, the money he's leaving to his family, rather, that they must invest it in index funds. Warren Buffett is saying that. And the reason why he's saying that is because number one, the vast majority of people don't know how to pick stocks, even yep. um, fund managers, hedge fund, hedge fund managers, stockbrokers, they're just not that good at it. Because if they were, everybody would be beating the market. But the, the, if the reality is, is that the majority of people are not beating the market. Warren Buffett is the exception to that rule. And that's why we even know who his name is, because he's done something that nobody else can do. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing is that he's telling his family to invest this money, invest this wealth in index funds. You're not going to be able to beat the market. So you might as well do as well as the market. And that's really what I think um, sort of summarizes why we would encourage people to consider investing in index funds is that you will always do as well as the market is doing. If the market is doing well today, you're going to do well. If the market's not doing well today, you're not going to do so well. But again, as that chart has shown, it's always going to go back up. It may not go up today. It may not go up tomorrow, but it's eventually it's going to go back up. Eventually it does. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think that brings us to our challenge of the week this week. 
Challenge. Challenge. <laughs> and so I love this one. And it's to say, do one thing this coming week that's outside of your comfort zone. And I love this one because I'm I'm sure it's everyone, but like I'm definitely one person that does not like to go outside of her comfort zone. Like I I, I get anxious and terrified and things that like, you know, most people will be like, oh yeah, that's fine. I'm like, no, no, that's nervous. Like, what if I look like I'm an idiot? Or what if I embarrass myself? Or what if I like fail? Like that, oh my God, the concept of failure. That's the problem is that I am a perfectionist and the idea of failure is so anxiety ridden for me. Like, yeah, a lot <laughs> so, of people you know, have that's where that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to think about this one and what I can do outside of my comfort zone this week. But, you know, I, the thing I love about this too, is we're not saying it has to be financially related. It can be anything. It can be trying a new food that you thought you never would like, and you've never tried it before, but just the idea of it sounded gross or whatever. Give it a try. What's the worst that happens? You say, oh, yep, that's gross. And I'm never going to have that again. Or you might say, oh my God, that's actually pretty good. I like that. You know, <laughs> I mean, actually a good example. And it's not that this is like a huge thing, but when we went to, um, on vacation this year, uh, one, we went with friends of ours that have kids and their daughter eats like, uh, raw, um, bell peppers, you know, with dinner, mm -hmm. like as her vegetable or whatever. And so I was cutting them up for her and I had some extra leftover. And I always thought I never liked bell peppers. Like I barely liked them when they were cooked in fajitas, like on a taco or something. I never wanted to eat them on my own. And so I was like, all right, well, let me just try it. And so I dipped it in some ranch dressing, which mind you, ranch is gold and it's delicious. It makes everything better. <laughs> but I dipped it in some ranch and I was like, actually, this is pretty good. And now that's like my go-to snack. I love it. Like ask, ask my family, I've been chowing them down for weeks now. Like I buy them in bulk at the grocery store. <laughs> I've been telling you sweet bell peppers you are the best. I know you told me too. And that's the thing where, I mean, yes, it's a, it's a minimal thing outside of your comfort zone, but it was something I was convinced that I wouldn't like. And you know, it, it would be gross. And probably because maybe I did try it years ago and my palate was different then, but I have grown, I have come above. <laughs> eating not eating peppers so that's the thing it can be it can be anything well i love this challenge i love anything that stretches you as a person you know i i, I talk about my inner hippie all the time and i love doing like personal development work and so i like that the, i like the challenge of stretching yourself and doing mm -hmm. something that's outside of your comfort zone and i like the analogy you gave because for a lot of people not me but a lot of people have issues with food they don't like trying a lot of new foods i don't get that it doesn't make any sense to me because I'll eat anything. <laughs> but I do know that for a lot of people, that is a big deal. And so I love this challenge because you can make it as big or small as you want. And then the, it's a concept of is not to your point, Steph, it's not about necessarily doing something financially. It's just about stretching yourself. It's about mm -hmm. going outside of your comfort zone and doing something that doesn't doesn't feel great at first, but just when you get over it and you do it, it's like jumping off the high dive. You know, when you do it, you've done it. You ripped the Band-Aid off. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it's not that All bad. Right. And like, that's the thing is, I, you know, regardless of how big or small it is, whatever the thing it is that you choose, I think you'll find that whatever you decide, it, you'll, you're actually stronger and more capable than you imagined, you know? And I think that certainly applies to bigger things. If you're, you know, maybe there's a job that you had wanted or a job posting you saw and you're like, oh, well, you know, I don't fit every box, you know, I don't check every box that they're looking for. So I shouldn't apply for that. What's the worst thing that happens? You get a job interview, you get a job offer, you know, and, or maybe they never call you back. They look at your resume and say, yep, 
they don't qualify, so I'm not going to call them back. Then what's yeah. the worst thing that happened? But you know, the best thing is that maybe that's that pivot that you really needed. And I always think back about how I started the career I am. And I answered a call one day at the pharmacy from some oh, random yeah. recruiter that was cold calling people and looking for someone, a, a pharmacy technician to come work for this e-prescribing company. And something in me that day, I was like, Okay, yeah. And definitely I was younger. So of course I was like, you know, I didn't have a family to take care of and, and the same financial responsibilities that I have today. But I still at that time, I remember feeling very obligated to the responsibilities I had. And I was very risk averse. And I, I today I'm like, why did I even say yes? You know, I loved my job at the pharmacy, but I also wasn't making a lot of money. And I was like, you know what, if this is going to get me where I want to be financially, I'm going to say yes and figure this out. And I did. And that's what brought me here today. So sometimes taking those leaps that are outside of your comfort zone is what you need. That's yeah. what's going to set you on the path that you're meant to go on. So yeah. that's what we're kind of hoping for. Again, it doesn't have to be this major life change. You know, one week is a, long, a short amount of time to make a, a life change, but you never know. So we're super excited to see what people say. <laughs> yeah. And we want to know. So um, definitely we're going to post about it. I think we'll probably post it tomorrow, the challenge of the week. So if you come up with something either next now, between now and next week, when we do Winance Wednesday, drop us a comment and let us know because we want to see how you stretched yourself and, and the growth that you experienced from doing this challenge. Yes. So let's go back over what we talked about, you know, for, for this episode. Yeah. So going back to, um, you know, stock market and basically what it always happens with it. <laughs> <laughs> the stock market, what does it do, everybody? It always eventually goes up. So that's number one. <laughs> yes. And so the, also the benefit of index funds, it allows you to own a small portion of many companies or all the companies in that index or sector. So again, you don't have to worry about whether one company is going to do well or not, or you know the financials of another company. You own all the companies or a whole wealth of companies. And that's all you have to say is, okay, awesome. This sector's doing good, then I'm okay. That's right. Number three is that you are as diversified as you need to be. And because of that, there is very minimal risk in investing in an index fund. You're always going to do as well as the market does. Exactly. And last but not least, number four, the broad market index funds can take away that lose it all fear out of investing. And so that's my thing is, you know, that was me. I had that whole lose it all fear where I was like, oh my God, I don't want to lose all my hard earned savings. And when you're invested in these broad market funds, you really don't have to worry about it. Again, going back to you're not invested in one company, you're invested in many or multiple or all the companies. And so, so long as the world is not burning down around you, despite what 2020 has been, <laughs> you don't have to worry about it losing at all. So that's yeah. kind of the, the last point that we want to make about index funds. So that's our episode for this week, everybody. I hope you learned something new. I hope that you'll consider index funds. And of course, as always, if you have any questions, please reach out to us. You know how to find us on Instagram, Facebook. You can email us. Um, we are happy to answer any questions you might have about index funds or just investing in general. Um, next week, we're going to keep the investing topic going. We're going to be talking about HSAs, health savings accounts, which is 
Stephanie's other favorite investing topic. So we're going to do an interesting um, new take on Finance Wednesday next week. I'm actually going to be interviewing Stephanie because she's like the queen of HSA. So um, so I'm going to basically interview her and she's going to give her take on HSAs. And we felt like this was going to be a really good topic to cover because um, it's in open enrollment time at work. You know, everybody's doing their benefits and setting up, um, you know, what they're planning to do for the year ahead. So we thought this would be a very timely topic um, to go over. And we've got a couple comments here, actually. So before we wrap up, why don't we show some of these comments here? So, um, oh, I love this. Emily, I'm going to share your comment if that's okay. So I guess talking about the challenge of the week. So um, Emily was talking about she was writing a job description for a new position. And uh, let's see, a, had a male colleague call out pieces of it and say, you know, women might not apply to this if, it is, if it's too restrictive. And it made me rethink everything going forward, including jobs I apply for. So much respect for that work colleague. This is great encouragement. Women need this. I 100%, Emily, I totally agree. You know, when Stephanie was talking about the job, I thought the same thing that women in particular don't necessarily go for um, you know, positions that they don't think they're qualified for. I forget there's some percentage or there's some stat. And then of course, men conversely go for, for positions that they're underqualified for. Um, and so I think a lot of us are women who are, who listen to Wine Dance Wednesday. And so this is definitely something that can help stretch you. If there's something that you really want to go for that you want to level up in your career, go for that job, apply for it, because what is the worst that can happen? You don't get the job, but you know what? You will have the experience from applying for it. You will have an updated resume. If you get a chance to go on that job interview, you got to stretch your, your interviewing skills. So even if you don't get the job, it's not a failure. You have stretched yourself in one way or the other. So Emily, I love, love, love um, that you shared your story with us. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, that was great. That was really yeah. a good insight. Um, so one last reminder that um, our registration for our Winance workshop is still open. Um, it's tomorrow night, Thursday, um, October 22nd at 7 p.m. We're talking about building wealth in your in your 401k. Um, so if you're interested in joining, you can go to winancefi.com slash workshops. Uh, we hope to see you there. But um, if you can't make it, don't worry. We will be launching the workshop again um, shortly. <laughs> yep. All, All right. right. So well, that's thanks. The only other thing we want to say, of course, all as always, make sure you like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, you can hit the bell for notifications. So that way, whenever we go live or post a new video, you will get notified and be able to catch up on that. And also, you can listen to Lovely Wine Ants Wednesday as our podcast on Spotify. That's so be right. sure to catch us there as well, if you can. Thanks for joining everyone and we'll see you again next Wednesday. Right. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye.